Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Welcome to Pantsuit Politics, where a woman from the right and a woman from the left accessorize the news with a fresh perspective. I'm Beth Silvers. And I'm Sarah Stewart-Holland. We are friends from college who share a lifelong passion for politics, and we decided to turn that into a podcast, and we named it Pantsuit Politics, and this is our premiere episode. This podcast was born after uh, Beth wrote a blog on my blog, Bluegrass Redhead, called Nuance, calling for nuance and political discussion. We had a very positive reaction, and we thought, hmm, how can we take this a little bit further? And here we are, Pantsuit Politics. Yes, it seemed we were on to something, so we hope we were right. Exactly. We were right! (laughs) Oh my gosh! (laughs) What were we... We were going to accessorize it with a fresh perspective. Yeah, it was darling. Bless us. Bless our sweet, sweet hearts. 
And bless all of you who've been there from episode one, as today we celebrate episode 500. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. It's funny to think when we were counting off, because we always count at the beginning of the episode to sync up our lines since we don't record in the same place. Like, as we were counting off, I thought, I can't even imagine that we've done this 500 times, more than 500 times. You know, it's just, ah, and that so many of you have listened to all of them. You're amazing. So for those of you who weren't there from the old school intro and music, we did start after Beth wrote a blog for my, at the time, sort of parenting political blog. I always say I would roll straight from a stroller review to my thoughts on the Syrian civil war. I did not care. And it was so well received. And I reached out and I said, would you want to start a podcast? And she was like, sure. What is that? <laughs> how will that work? And we figured it out episode by episode. We figured out how will that work? And the truth is the answer is not always the same. And it started as a side hobby and has, I mean, it feels quickly, but I guess 500 episodes in five years is not that quickly. It has turned into our purpose and an amazing community, and we hope a, a really enjoyable podcast to listen to. <laughs> so I was so echoey in those opening remarks because I tried the first time we recorded to do it in my basement where I have a desk and it was a good setup for my microphone. And we realized like that sound is terrible and moved into my closet on the floor. And I've since graduated to my closet in a desk. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's just been such a learning experience, like from the technical side. Oh, my goodness. Like I had no idea what we were doing when we started. I was also personally just incredibly nervous about doing this. And I think that when I look back over 500 episodes, what I realize is that I just have been in this process of stripping things away. The podcast has been like a really excellent toner for me. You know, I think my face is still the same, uh, but a lot of toxins have been taken out and a lot of brightness <laughs> has been added. Oh, I love that skincare analogy. When I think about that first episode, you know, the truth is I just had so much interior chatter about any career I might or might not have, any career I might want. I can't even remember what I thought would happen with the podcast. I'm not sure I really even had a thought press about, like, what is going to happen. At the time, I was still social media consulting. I was still running my personal blog. I mean, I think it was probably less than a month after we started the podcast, decided to run for office. I had a baby who we'd recently discovered had had a stroke in utero and it was going to have some really specific needs. So it's just my mind was so full. The truth is, I don't think I had a lot of time in episode one to think, what do I want this to be? How can I, you know, where where are we headed? And I think, honestly, that was some of the power of that moment is because we weren't trying to be anything it was allowed to become what it was supposed to be. Yeah, I am so glad we did not know what was coming because I would have been a hard pass, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and I would have missed out on what has truly been one of the greatest blessings in my entire life, a, a completely life-altering experience from how I parent to the wife that I am to the friendships that I have. I mean, it's just changed everything for me. In such a wonderful way. I'm also really glad that we did not know what was coming politically. 
Word. I don't know that we would have been up for that task either. And that is where a lot of you all found us around the 2016 election. So we started in November of 2015, right before Kentucky's gubernatorial election. We really thought we were going to talk about Kentucky politics. Everyone thought the world was ending when Matt Bevin was elected. And that was what we planned to have as our focus. But we started hearing from you all. And lots of you were in California and Texas and North Carolina and all over the country. And we realized we need to talk about national politics. And we tried to do that. And I imagine as we go back and uh, run the tape on how we managed that election, it will it will also sound darling to us. Even if he wins New Hampshire, North Carolina, and Florida, if the like sort of traditionally blue states say blue, he's still not to 270. She's way over 270. So I just... Yeah, I know. I mean, it's just... I think I was just so focused on the polls that I, forget the, I, forget, I sort of forgot the gift that keeps on giving, which is the electoral problem. The votes are in. We have a new president. This is Sarah, and I'm an American. This is Beth, and I'm an American. You're listening to Pantsu Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. 2016 was a pivot point for this podcast because it was an incredibly emotional, important moment for the history of this country. And, you know, it didn't stop there. We have really felt honored to be in this at times, incredibly difficult journey through moments in our country's history. And we felt the duty and responsibility and oftentimes the blessings of being with it, sorry, of going through it with each other and having all of you alongside us. And I think so often you guys think... (laughs) that you're going through these really tough news events or political moments with us and that we're sort of leading the way. And it's it feels so different from our side. To me, it always feels like I'm taking these really important steps or, you know, falling on my face or crumbling in grief, um, not by myself, and not out in front, but in this amazing body and community of people. I, I feel Beth and all of you surrounding us at every moment. And that's what gives me the strength and sort of just the space to face what's happening, to be able to talk about what's happening. People always ask us like, oh my gosh, how do you just talk about politics all the time? How do you do that? And I say, you know, the moment is hard only if you try to get away from it. If you can face it and talk about it and process it constantly with this amazing community of people who are up for the moment, it doesn't feel as daunting. I think that's right. And it's just made me accountable to my very best values. Mm-hmm. it's a constant reminder that I want to be a person who exhibits grace towards other people. It reminds me that I want to be a curious person 
the accountability of the audience to really do my homework on the issues to learn as much as I can learn has sparked in me so many interests I didn't know that I had. I had no idea how much I loved geography. I mean, I knew that I liked the map quizzes in AP European history, but I did not understand (laughs) the depth of how fascinated I would be by the approach that India took to foreign policy in the 1950s. And, you know, there are just so many things, the way African countries communicate with one another and govern as a continent sometimes and individually as countries. There are so many things that I have come to just love learning about. And I would have never given myself permission to dive into those things until I felt that I was responsible for diving into them to a group of people. And that learning has changed me in a lot of different ways. But the beauty of it is that as difficult for our country and for me personally and for all of us personally as the last few years have been, it helps me take my place in that history that is unfolding before us through an entirely different lens than if I were just kind of living my life every day and taking in some news on the side. But let's be real. As this community grew, and grew it did with every episode, the work involved grew. I think the two most important emails in the history of Pantsy Politics is the one I sent to Beth saying, we should do a podcast, which is in the video we share on Instagram. And the second most important email is after we put out a call saying, hey, we love getting email from all of you. If you could just put no need to respond in the subject line, which was life changing. We got an email from Elise saying, I've never done this before, but could you guys use some help? And then the angel sang and the heavens opened and Elise came into our lives. Hey, everyone. This is Elise, Managing Director of Pantsuit Politics. I started listening to Pantsuit Politics soon after the 2016 election, like so many of you. I posted on my blog about ways I was working to stay politically engaged in the aftermath of the election, and a fellow blogger and friend, Monica, recommended the show to me. I am forever in her debt because I was hooked from the very first episode I heard, so thank you, Monica. The show quickly became my favorite podcast, and I, in turn, told lots of people about it. Word of mouth, after all, was and still is the most effective advertising for podcasts. After listening for about a year, I had an experience I really can only describe as providential. It was early 2018, and I knew the audience of the show was growing. One day, I found myself wondering how Sarah and Beth were handling all of the logistics behind the scenes. My professional life has been spent in teaching and project management, so I had a sense for how time-consuming all of the unseen things can be. The very next day, Sarah and Beth requested that listeners start putting no reply needed in the subject line of emails, and the switch flipped for me. I realized, oh, they need some help. And then, oh, hey, I can probably help. So I did a thing I had never done before, and I have never done since. I sent an email with a no reply needed subject line, of course, and offered my skills up on a volunteer basis to start. My timing, it seems, was providential on both ends because Sarah responded within 90 minutes asking if I had been sent directly from heaven. And yes, indeed, they did need help. Two and a half years later, my role with the show has really grown beyond anything I ever could have imagined when I sent that email. I started out just putting the show notes together. And while I still do that, I told someone this week that my job here is really keeping all of the trains running. 
I do a little bit of everything behind the scenes of the shows, and I love it. Even the occasional late nights when the whole team just knows we can't put out an episode the next day without addressing whatever bananas thing happened since we recorded the show. Being on this team has been such an incredible experience. I have been in spaces with Sarah and Beth that I would never have imagined for myself. Most days, the work isn't what I would qualify as glamorous, but every once in a while, I have a surreal moment corresponding with a governor's office or a presidential candidate's team to get them scheduled, or chatting backstage at an event with some of my very favorite authors, or sitting on a back porch with Sarah and Beth while we dream together about the future of the show. Those are the moments when I stop and I wonder, how did I get so lucky? More importantly, though, this work is making me better. I've always closely followed the news and politics, but these days I'm better informed, I'm better equipped to make a difference, and I'm better able to have hard conversations in my own life. I'm slower to anger and quicker to grace than I was when I found Pansy Politics. One of the biggest blessings of this has been the incredible community. We say it all the time, but it's so true. The Pansy Politics community is one of the best on the internet. Seeing the real friendships and support networks that have developed because of this show is amazing. You all are the most supportive, wonderful people, and we truly, truly could not do what we are doing without you. You perpetually blow us away with your generosity and your grace. The number of times I have cried over someone's kind words on Twitter is frankly embarrassing. In some ways though, it's not at all surprising that our community is so incredible. As I learned long ago from Remember the Titans, Attitude reflects leadership, and the leaders of this community are exactly who you believe them to be. I can vouch for the fact that behind the scenes, Sarah and Beth are kind, generous, wise, passionate, fun, and grace-filled. They have become true friends. They never complain when I vox them at weird hours with my own political questions. They give the best gift recommendations for my nephews. They care about me as a person, first and foremost. They're simply the best people that you could have in your corner. I'm incredibly grateful to be on their team, and I will never have enough words to thank them for allowing me to be part of this journey. So cheers to you, Sarah and Beth, for this remarkable milestone of 500 episodes. I love you both, and I'm so excited to see what's next. Honestly, when I question my career path, there are a handful of people who make me know that I was meant to go to law school to meet those people and work with them or know them in my life. And I was also meant to briefly go down the path of human resources so that I could spot in Elise's email exactly the right person. Like I knew the second I read her email that she was exactly who we needed, even though we didn't even know what we needed at that point. And she has Mm -hmm. come in and just been a friend and a representative of our listeners, you know, in so many different ways. She tells us the truth about things, even when it's hard to hear. But she does it in such a delightful way that it doesn't even sting. I just think Elise is uniquely talented and that it is so providential that she is part of our team. And honestly, the the next best decision that we ever made was saying, husbands, we love you so much. Please just be our husbands. We're going to hire someone to do the sound for the show. <laughs> yeah, let's just let's just break this down, y'all. OK, so Elise probably saved us. But Dylan... And Simeon saved our marriages. And that is very important because having your husband as your sound engineer 
is uh, not ideal. One, because our husbands have full-time jobs. And so my husband would get home, make my family dinner, and I'd be like, see you in a couple hours. I try not to say like so much. Love you. It just was not ideal. So having Dylan come along and then Simeon to clean us up. Y'all, we only sound smart because they're taking everything out. It's a whole lot of kids and dogs. That's what it is. Hey, this is Dylan Garvin, the producer of Pantsuit Politics. Beth and Sarah, I first want to congratulate you two on this amazing accomplishment. 500 episodes is no joke, and you guys have done an amazing amount of work in such a short period of time. I want to read the original email that Sarah sent to the listserv for the job that I applied to two and a half years ago. Sarah, you said, Hi, I'm the co-host of a national independent podcast called Pantsuit Politics. We've been producing the show ourselves for two years and have now grown enough. We are looking for some help producing the show. We have a twice-weekly show, as well as the new weekly podcast, The Nuanced Life. If you might be interested, please let me know. When I saw this, I was so excited to potentially get my first big client. And so I reached out, and both of you took a chance on me, and I really appreciate that. Two and a half years later, we've made a lot of awesome episodes One of the most memorable to me was when we put together the 9-11 memorial episodes. The two of you spent a lot of time going up to New York and collecting audio for the episode. You just handed me a bunch of audio and said, go for it. I had a pretty good idea what I wanted to do, but the trust that you put in me to finish that meant a lot. Two and a half years later, I've started my own podcast production company, and we've added two more faces to our team, including Simeon, and I never could have done it without your support from the beginning. So Beth and Sarah, congratulations again, and here's to another 500 episodes. Chad and Nicholas give so much to this podcast that is invisible to listeners. It is not easy to be married to two people who love doing this as much as we love doing it, who are constantly on our phones. You know, a lot of my boundaries have changed as we've done the podcast because when we were kind of right into it, when we realized we have something, we have an audience, I was so excited and so desperate to do something professionally that felt right to me instead of that felt like what everybody else thought was right for me that I never left Twitter. I mean, I was in the elevator on the escalator at work looking at Twitter. I was in bed looking at Twitter. I woke up in the morning. It was the first thing I did to the point where at one point Chad said like, hey, not good for you. We need to stop this. And he was right. And so to be able to have the right level of involvement from Nicholas and Chad without this thing eclipsing our marriages, it is the biggest deal. And to do it with people who are so fun and also kind and flexible, there are very few audio producers on earth who would agree to do this gig with us. We turn this around so fast especially throughout COVID-19, we've been like, Mm -hmm. we'll get you those files sometime. I don't know when. Mm -hmm. They're just amazing. So, hey, guys, welcome to the Great Redhead Debate. Uh, This is Dante, and I am going to be moderating our, our debate tonight between... Uh, the candidacies of Sarah Holland and Beth Silvers. So just to give you guys a little bit of background, we took questions from listeners on Twitter, on Facebook, and in my email. Uh, we decided on some pre, pre-discussed pre topics and some pre-discussed questions. So we're going to mix them up as we go along. 
and it, this should be fun. So we're going to treat it just like a real debate between the two candidates and see where we stand, where we on certain issues, where we agree, where we differ and, you know, where we can move forward on a lot of issues that we've been discussing throughout season two and even before that. And it says, should policy, should public policy support families, particularly low income families, so that they can attend a school of choice, regardless of whether it is public or private? Um, and, uh, Beth, I think you have throughout, uh, throughout season two talked about school choice on a number of occasions. So, um, would you like to answer this question first? My answer is yes. It's unequivocally yes. I think that choice in education is a critical factor in lots of areas. I think it will make education a more attractive field for bright minds who could be great teachers for us. I think it helps um, resolve some economic disparities in our school systems. And just fundamentally, you know, I'm a believer in choice. That's part of why I'm a Republican. I don't think our op options should be dictated. I think that if public school is the best option for everyone worked, it would be working much better than it is now. So in my view, this is a no brainer, helping, helping children attend the schools that their families believe are best for them and being able to change that decision as the child changes over the course of the child's life is critically important. I think this is an area where the president and congressional delegation should work with governors because I don't think we should have a federal program dictating exactly how this works because the options are different state to state, right? The populations are different state to state. I don't think that there is a one size fits all model. I think each state individually ought to be looking at things like scholarship tax credits, charter school programs. There are a lot of ways to tackle this. I don't think that we can best do that from Washington, D.C., but again, I think we can provide some leadership and some support and sharing of best practices state to state to give people ideas and information about what's working and what isn't. The best thing I can think that we can do at the federal level is start to take some pressure off of our public schools and give them space to compete better with these options that are emerging. Because right now, I think we hamstring our public school system by outcome, you know, performance-based outcomes that don't really take into account the differences in our children and the differences in what they're equipped to learn and what our teachers are equipped to do in each one of those schools. Sarah, would you like to chime in on the issue of school choice? Oh, yes, I would. Um, so I think that my biggest problem with this is choice is something that other, that people are trying and it's not like it's been just hugely successful. There have been huge problems with charter schools from outright fraud with people's quote, schools closing midway through the year to, you know, smaller problems where kids just aren't getting the education they need. So I would like, you know, I like the idea. I just said the education system shouldn't be one size fits all. So it's not that I don't like the idea of an adaptable system in which children and families have more choice depending on their children's needs. I think that's great. I think using public dollars with private companies to try to offer that is not the right way to go. For me, because I believe that the power of the federal government in assuring fundamental rights is sort of how real fundamental change happens for me. The biggest problem with, you know, the school system with regards to choice is, you know, we have a Supreme court decision in San Antonio independent school versus Rodriguez. that says education is not a fundamental right. 
And so to me, like we're trying to build all these haphazard changes, including charter schools on a foundation that is not steady because we as a country have not decided that this is something we want to assure every child because our Supreme Court said it wasn't a fundamental right. So until we get that solved, until we figure out what we really want every child to have, I just feel like charter schools are a Band-Aid. Well, what what do you make of uh, politicians and, and their role, especially presidents and their role of of fostering an environment where where mudslinging is is diminished, where name calling is diminished, so safe spaces or the PC culture kind of that that is dis- destructed by the examples that a presidential candidate might set in holding a spirited but fair and clean uh, campaign. I don't think there's going to be much debate here, but we can try. <laughs> <laughs> It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. The president's role is to be a leader in all ways and including showing kindness to people he or she disagrees with. I agree with that. You know, I I would want to be a president that we could all be proud of every time I come to a microphone, every time I sit in the Oval Office. And even as I go to sleep at night in the White House, I, I want people to feel that I'm honest and transparent and fair and generous and kind and graceful with my opponents. I think that's what's required in the White House. And I think anything less is unacceptable. And I think it's not just the White House. We shouldn't have senators or representatives or governors or city council members um, that we expect anything less of. In summary, cut it up, (laughs) y'all. Keep it nuanced. Do you support paid family leave? And if so, how would you introduce that policy into our workforce? Uh, Beth, you've spoken a lot about the complexities of trying to put forth a federal policy for paid family leave. Uh, So I'd like to ask you first what your thoughts are on this topic. The first thing that I'd like us to talk about is the fact that our current discussions on paid family leave still seem to me to be extremely limited and and to not recognize the epidemic that we have around care in families right now. So in addition to talking about leave surrounding the birth of a child, I think we need to be talking about leave surrounding adoptions. I think we need to be talking about elder care, which is going to be an enormous issue. Um, It's already becoming that and is only going to become a larger one. I think we need to be talking about families that look different than the families that we are accustomed to seeing today. Um, We shouldn't write policies that have mom and dad in them anymore. There's just, there's a breadth of experience happening. And if we want to create policies that are focused on children and on recipients of care, I mean, we we should be thinking about people with disability who require care for their entire lifespan as well. That's why I think um, as flashy and fun and exciting as it would be to adopt a standard federal policy around family leave, that policy would not be inclusive enough. And so we've got to work with our industries to come up with something. And maybe that has a component of federal funding. Maybe it works a little bit like unemployment insurance where people are paying in so that they can take out later. But we've got to think more broadly than the discussion that we're having right now. And I just I absolutely support people having space in their lives for time off that is paid to care for people and their families. But I think we need to do that very, very carefully. And the entire burden of that should not be on private industry. Sarah, would you like to respond? Oh, yes, I would. So this, the more I think about it, is an area I have passionate disagreement with Beth. I 
believe that like she does that the gender wage gap exists because we do not value care in our country because we have a system an education system including that you know kids getting off at 2 p.m under the idea that there is somebody at home taking care of the kids which is not the world we live in anymore and there seems to be this sort of undercurrent in our society of well you chose to have kids I did. You're right. And so, but that is something that is beneficial to our country. So as America, if we believe that we value families and we value caregiving, then this is the perfect situation in which we need the power of the federal government to enforce these values. Because leaving it up to private industry is not going to create more better solutions. It's going to be where we are with schools, where some people in California have great pay. What's already the situation. Some people in federal government have in California have some paid leave and I have nothing. You know, it's also the idea that maybe people all exist within private industry. You know, I work for myself, you know, small businesses or freelancers. I mean, what are they in a gig economy in which more and more people are freelancers? What are these people supposed to do? You know, we need paid leave from the federal government. I don't know if that looks like universal income so that we cover elder care. So we cover some, so that that sort of everything gets swept in. But I wholeheartedly agree with Rebecca Tracer when she came on our show. If we leave this up to industry, we're going to see a bigger and bigger gap with people at the top as their industries decide to get on board. Um, getting these benefits and particularly people at the bottom and low income people or low to middle income people being left behind and they're suffering and their children suffering. And it's gone on too far. If our country values families and caregiving, then we all need to step up and put our money where our mouth is. Let me be clear, Sarah. I'm not saying that there is no role for a public solution here, but I'm saying that it can't be an exclusively public solution because I think any exclusively public solution will necessarily ignore whole swaths of people, will necessarily, necessarily be limiting to the people who can receive that benefit and could disproportionately impact certain industries. Underrepresented issues are are best solved with more representation. Um, what would you help do maybe to from a federal level or at a state level to help empower more women to run? Because um, it's not necessarily always a problem of of women not getting elected, but it's it's women not choosing to run and put their hat in the ring. I mean, if I'm waving a magical wand, I'm passing the ERA and maybe we could have some sort of, uh, I mean, Iraq has better, like they have it written into their constitution. You have to have like a certain amount of female representation. So if I'm just, you know, I'm totally in charge, maybe I'm thinking really big, like something like that. But I think, you know, with the, with regards to female representation, truthfully, the leadership that a president could provide would be at the party level would say be as the party leader saying, okay, we have a new priority and the priority is electing women and putting our, you know, we have a lot of independent organizations helping to do this, but they could do a lot more with the power of the political party behind them. Beth, would you like to respond? I think more women will want to be in elections when our elections are better. 
I think when our discourse is elevated, more women are going to want to be part of it. I think right now, a lot of women don't throw their hats in the ring because it is an ugly process. And it's a process made uglier by the gendered way that we talk about female candidates in the media, by the coverage and the questions that people receive. So I think organizations like Ultraviolet, who are out there doing the work to raise attention to the way women are characterized in the media for the things that female politicians have to put up with, are really helping move us forward in this area. So I, I think we just have to keep moving forward. I think as voters, we have to be more engaged. When, when we are treating our politics with the seriousness that our politics deserve, I think we'll have a plethora of women involved. Women want leadership positions. You see it in the private sector all the time. We just have to, um, we have to stop the ugliness. And I think we'll see a lot more women emerge to, on the stage. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi-connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Pantsuit. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. 
You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. I mean, we have seen things change. I know it feels so hopeless in the face of 17 people losing their lives. But I just have to remind myself that everybody used to drink and drive. And it used to be acceptable for black people to sit in the back of the bus and to beat gay people for being gay. And everybody smoked. Like (laughs) The world was different 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago. And it was because of people standing up and saying, this isn't good enough, that even things that felt like they were so a part of the air we breathe changed. And that is possible here. Even in the face of something that feels so devastating and so terrible and so intractable, change is possible. Change is possible here. We can do better. We can. I believe that. I have to believe that. And when I look back on Americans who believe the same things and made that change happen, it gives me hope. And I have to have hope on days like these because the days when I felt powerless were so full of suffering that it was hard to see my way out. And so I got to see a way out. I have to see a light, no matter how small, and focus on that. And this gives me a way to do that. And that is really powerful. I think the key to everything that you just said is that enough people have to get together on this and work toward it. I would like to see the pro-life community come out strong on school shootings. All of the energy that is channeled into protecting the unborn, could we for a moment channel it into protecting the born? Could we for a moment just get together people who normally don't have things in common and say, listen, all of us have to say enough to 18 school shootings. All of us have to say enough to 30 mass shootings in the United States in less than two months. Change is not instantaneous. And character is built on committing yourself to change that you might not see in your lifetime. But that doesn't mean it's not worthy. And I think that was a turning point in our country. And that doesn't, like I said, that doesn't mean we woke up the next day and everything was better. It means that we all decided, I don't want this to be like this anymore. And I'm going to start to make it better. And if enough people do that over time, that's how you get change. And it might be something different for you than Sandy Hook. It might be, you know, my husband said the other day, I just feel like it's going to get to the point where everyone has a personal experience with school school violence. But, you know, whatever it takes, things are changing. People do talk about this. People do feel differently. People are learning. You know, I learned things since since joining Moms Main Actions that I didn't know. Like, I didn't know that the NRA is on a crusade to have permitless carry in every state where anyone over the age of 21 can get a gun without licensing or without safety training. That's not something Americans, as a majority, I think, support anywhere close. And so we have to pay attention and we have to be vigilant and we have to dedicate ourselves to something that, like I said, it's that the change will not be gratifying and instantaneous. But that doesn't mean it's not worth it. I think what's so hard about this shooting in particular is it it does seem to be exactly what I talked about last time, which is people need to see the graphic violence of a school shooting. And so many of these kids took videos and posted them immediately. I watched one just before we started the show, thinking it was like the others I'd seen in which you would hear things or you would see the kids being scared. But then I saw a child laying in the floor. So 
you know, I think that that will affect people and that will build on this group. There will be people who will watch that and say, okay, enough is enough. And slowly this group will build power and authority and take action and change will come. It's really hard to see these images, but I think that you have been right on the fact that we need to. When I think about the image of the couple in a car with their very small child in the back seat that police took mm-hmm. showing addiction, that was so miserably uncomfortable. And there's this question about whether it was exploitative or not. I do think it made a difference in how a lot of people saw addiction, though. Yeah, I do think it was important in saying, let's be real about what we're talking about here. So I was in a local church recently, and I saw this photo on a bulletin board as you entered, and I snapped a picture and I shared it on our social media accounts. It is of, is it Omran or Omarn? Dagnish, he's the five-year-old that was shown sort of dazed, covered with dust in the Syrian civil war several months ago. And underneath the photo, a very, you know, it was a very viral photo, someone had written, uh, typed, if someone doesn't tell him about Jesus, then he may become a part of the ideology that caused the situation he is in and end up in eternity separated from God, far more devastating. My fervent prayer is that God will send someone to tell him. I did feel, and hearing you read it again, just like a jaw-dropping amount of despair that, one, someone felt that, like that was the thought they had upon seeing that photograph, and two, that they would go to the trouble to, like, print that, like, make it a PR piece. Mm -hmm. I'm struggling with that. And I think what it made me think about is, like, in all of our conversations right now, I think we have just an incredible lack of empathy for each other and, and an incredible willingness to prioritize our own worldviews over trying at all to understand where other people are. When a photo like that becomes viral and, and it becomes a sort of symbol on which to act out our politics or religion, or whatever, the first thing that I think is lost, and especially when we're talking about in the presence of an empathy deficit, is the realization, this is hard, that this is a little boy, this is a real little boy. And the reason that that photo was so upsetting to me is I have a five-year-old little boy, just like that. And to think, you know, this little boy's brother was killed, his 10-year-old brother was killed. I have a eight-year-old son, older than my five-year-old, to think of a situation in which my oldest son died and I couldn't protect my five-year-old or my two-year-old and I was stuck in this situation in which um, my country could not advocate on my behalf. I had no, I had no citizenship on which to stand on. You know, I think we take for granted as American what it's like to, you know, you you have this sense. I always had this sense when I travel that nothing's going to happen to me. I'm an American. You know, like even if it did, my country will, you know, burn it all to the ground to help me or keep me safe or just to feel that sort of protection surrounding me because of nothing else but where I was born, the luck of birth. And to think about not having that and not having anyone but like, you know, Angelina Jolie out there advocating for me is so 
intense and so foreign to anything that I've ever really experienced and would be hard enough on my own. But to think about a situation in which I could not protect my children or if I had lost a child is just, you know, it's really difficult for me. It's sort of a meta empathy wall because there's a there's an empathy wall for me to understand the absence of empathy here. I just can't fathom it. I can't fathom as the mother of a five-year-old boy looking at this photo and feeling anything but just earth-shattering heartbreak. So it's really difficult for me to put myself in a place where someone could write that caption. I think it is representative of why religion is struggling in the United States, you know, why our churches as institutions are not attracting as many people as they used to, while why there's maybe a diminished uh, cultural influence from religion. Because what we're getting um, when you're not in church every week is this sense that this is what religion means. And then I think for a lot of us who are in church every week, we don't even recognize this as a part of our church experience. Um, you know, the church that I started attending after the election is very much about, let's just meet the needs of the community. I don't hear much about kind of evangelizing at all. It's just, you know, there was a need in our community for affordable housing about 15 years ago, and this church built an apartment complex for senior citizens that's still thriving today to provide affordable housing to those folks. So there, there is, um, I think, I think the problem is that there's this projection that all people of faith come at it from this angle that your faith is prioritized over any sort of grace for other humans. And I don't think that's what's happening in every church or even the majority of churches, but it's kind of um, indicative of our our left-right sensibility. Everything seems to be just pushing to extremes. And I I don't know what to do about that. Well, the 20th century's answer to sort of the the multiculturalism that um, was becoming more of a reality in the United States, but really sort of as globalism became more a part of all of our lives and, you know, opposing viewpoints and different cultures and all these things that are so um, increasingly fundamental to being American and being a global citizen was tolerance and that tolerance was not up to the challenge. Tolerance mm-hmm. says, you know, don't don't fundamentally shift the way you understand things. Don't accept the other, but just tolerate it, right? Just just um don't seek to understand it, don't love it, don't embrace it, but just tolerate it. And she really pushes and asks a lot of questions about how that fell short and what should our answer be. And, you know, On Being is a very spiritual podcast, and this book is very spiritual and is asking very spiritual questions. And in my own religious and spiritual journey over the past, I would say, five years, I've had to undo and, you know, sort of brick by brick, take down the wall that a lot of religion taught me in my youth and religion as it is seen by many, many people that commented on that photo and represented by that caption, which is oppositional is about the other and sort of a boxing of the other and and putting it in a box and making it fit your worldview and your understanding. And over the last five years, I think 
through a lot of things, my own church community, through the treatment and sort of exploring how other religions think about that. And we've talked about Richard Rohr on this podcast before. I'm a huge fan of his. And, you know, on being in all these broadcasts, all these great podcasts I listen to. And the philosopher today that I was listening to said, you know, Jesus's understanding and his teaching was not to box in the other. It was to understand that there is no other. We are all connected. You know, I love connection. I think connection is the source of human happiness. And I guess I was thinking about that. I think about that often through my role as certain groups, like living in Paducah, being a member of my family. But I think Carrie so beautifully teased out why that can be dangerous. Because I've also been thinking about um, sort of the pushback we've been getting from so many listeners when I say, when I even imply that there could be a positive effect of the Donald Trump presidency or when we were talking when we talk about gun violence or when we talk about abortion that the, it, it's not just about the community you live in it's not just about um, sort of the group you identify with because we do this we make all these different policy views a part of our identity and so that means that anyone who doesn't support those policy views is opposed to us and that othering that you're not with me, so you're against me, I am really beginning to believe is the source of all evil. I'm not even kidding. I've had to fire a lot of people in my career, and there are a couple of things that I've learned from doing that. The first one is it should be hard in all circumstances. No matter why you're firing someone, if it's not excruciating for you, whether you made the decision or you're just carrying out someone else's decision, if it is not excruciating for you, doesn't mean you're a bad person, but it probably means that you need some support and some change in your life. The other thing is, when you're firing someone, it should really be about upholding that person's dignity in the process. And you should remember that firing that person is step one of many steps, because anytime you let someone go, it has a massive impact on all of their colleagues. Pod Save the People with DeRay McKesson had a conversation with Brene Brown, and it was so good. They talked about race. She talked about how the she started having people walk out of her talks when she talked about Black Lives Matter, but that she has more people walk out in progressive cities when she mentions not basically um, dehumanizing Trump's family, which I thought was very interesting. And, you know, we've had several conversations about this recently um, on the podcast and on Twitter. The other thing that Brandy Brown said that I thought was so good is she said, like, shame and belittling and humiliation are the tools of oppression. They will never be the tools of social activism. Like, if you are concerned about the rights of individuals, if you are concerned about the threat of tribalism against just basic human rights, and whether that looks to you like the Trump administration or the civil war in Yemen, like, we're never going to fix that by making by dehumanizing someone even Donald Trump, even members of this discri- of this administration, like we're never going to get there. And the more I think about it, the more I just see sort of this dehumanization, this othering as it's such a fuel. It's such a fuel to people's fire. And it's like if you don't do that, then you don't care much. You don't see the threat as much as I do. That's what I hear from people so often, right? Like if you don't think that Donald Trump is the second coming of Hitler – 
then you're just not paying close enough attention and you don't care enough. And so how dare you say anything even remotely positive about him or his administration? Most of you know that when I was a junior in high school, uh, a, a student at my high school um, opened fire on a prayer circle and killed three of my classmates. And it was a really big deal at the time. Um, Pearl, Mississippi had had a shooting, but there weren't a lot of school shootings. We made the national news for several days in a row. Uh, there were huge satellite trucks in front of my school. Um, the media impact was big, and obviously the impact on us as a community was huge and felt long after the media trucks left. And for me personally, it still has a huge impact on my life. Um, I've dealt with the PTSD and a very tragic introduction to death at 16 through therapy and lots of support, but it's still something that affects me. And I thought, we wouldn't even be a blip in the news environment surrounding gun violence right now. If they're first of all, we don't even meet the the standard of mass shootings, which is four or more people. And I just thought it's so big in my life, and to think that the progression of gun violence since I was sixteen has grown and ballooned and grown and ballooned that we wouldn't even we probably wouldn't even make the national news sort of blows my mind. It doesn't sort of blow my mind. It absolutely blows my mind and it breaks my heart because I think for so long, even as someone who experienced gun violence, it felt like a static problem. It felt like a problem that we had sort of had. And yes, it was becoming a problem in schools, but we... It was it was it felt very much like the bargain we'd made as Americans, like we have a lot of guns. This is going to happen from time to time. And now I'm just realizing that that's it's not static. It keeps growing. It keeps getting worse. We can all see the difference in the way, particularly what happened in Las Vegas, that, you know, nobody else with a gun would have helped anything in that scenario, that the rate of casualties is growing at such an alarming rate. And it's just so frightening. What will it be like when my children are 16? What will it be like when their children are 16? That's why I want to have a new conversation about this, because it cannot be that anyone is pleased with this reality. And hearing the president's comments about how there's a mental health angle. Okay, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what that means. Because, look, it's not binary. It's not that this was about guns or mental health. It's absolutely about both. It's probably about a lot of other things. We need to talk about all of that and about what we're willing to do, what we can do, what what role the government plays in this, what role non-government actors play. But we need to all come together and say, the status quo is unacceptable to everyone. The thing that troubled me the most in the president's comments when he ended, he said something like, but that's how I see it. 
And mm-hmm. I know that what he meant was, that's how I see it, meaning I'm not willing to take any action on guns because of this. But it kind of sounded like that's just the price of doing business. That's the way the cookie crumbles. That's the way things happen. And I think we need to sit down and have a conversation as a country about whether we are comfortable with the idea that a price of the Second Amendment or a price of our freedom, because I hear the people who say, look, somebody just killed a bunch of people with his truck, too. What are you going to do, ban all trucks? No, no one's talking about any of those things. We need to get together and say American violence is out of hand. What are we all willing to do about that? So let's let's do this. Like, let's come to the table with our friends and neighbors and say, what kind of country do we want to have? Does everyone at this table think that a church needs an armed security guard? Does every person at this table think that in order to go to a concert on the Las Vegas Strip, every person should have to carry a plastic bag and we should have to empty the hotels around it to make sure that that's a safe environment? Do we all want to be safe? Do we feel like we are entitled to be safe? What is our obligation when we're aware of domestic violence in our neighborhood? Because over and over and over again, the people who pick up guns and do things like this have shown us before that they have violent tendencies. Mm. How do we deal with this as a mental health issue without overcorrecting? You know, I heard someone say this morning, this guy, look at what he was court-martialed for in the military. He spent time in confinement and we give him a job as a security guard. Okay, there's a risk of demonizing people too much in this process too, right? Because if we say every person who's ever done something wrong can't be employed, we've got a bigger problem on our hands. So these are complicated questions with a lot of interests. There are a lot of interests in this country and a lot of people and a lot of values that really clash with one another when we're trying to make these decisions. But man, being on the committee does not mean just defaulting into these same tired fights that we have every time this news happened. And you're right. It is escalating. The fact that Columbine no longer makes the top 10 list of mass shootings in this country, that is, it cannot be that anyone is okay with that. It cannot be that anyone says that's the kind of country I want to live in. That's where people lose me in conversation, when it becomes everything with this position must be wrong because I want my people in charge wielding the same kind of power and authority. And I think what you and I talk about with nuance is there is never going to be somebody in authority who's perfect. And Mm -hmm. our conversations are always going to matter. And what we could get to instead of a raw power struggle is a collaboration. And that is not to discount serious issues like racial inequality, like LGBTQ rights. There are issues where we do have to plant a flag and say, this is where I stand on this issue. And I cannot accept a compromise on this issue. We can still do that in a nuanced approach to politics as something other than raw power struggle. But because we've decided that politics today is nothing but raw power struggle, we do that on every issue. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm against. And that's what being moderate means to me. It's not that I'm moderate on every issue saying let's negotiate with people who believe that immigrants are a dire threat to our nation. I don't believe that. And I'm willing to put my flag down and say, I don't have room to talk about our neighbors from Honduras and Guatemala and Nicaragua this way. I don't. Yeah. I will put my flag down on that. But I will talk with you all day about the tax code. I will talk mm-hmm. with you. I will come to the table on health care in good faith, saying, let's roll up our sleeves and figure this out. I, I agree that this is something that we've done because it is a raw power struggle over and over at certain points in our country. And we perhaps are sensationalizing this trend. But I hope we sensationalize it, like you said, and decide, like, maybe there's another way. Maybe we don't have to keep on this stinking merry-go-round where... We things get a little bit better and our quality of life improves. We don't have a crisis to unite us. So we decide that the real enemy is within, you know, like maybe we could just, I don't know, not do that anymore and figure out a better way to engage in our politics that aren't this constant raw power struggle. Because if it's a raw power struggle, then that means we're competing against each other when really we I mean, I think the point we make is that we're all on the same team like we are. I know that we have conversations and there are moments when I do feel like there are two Americas and I'd be lying if I said that I didn't. But whether how whether I feel that way or not, as I've said on this podcast before, like nobody's going anywhere. It doesn't really matter. Like, I don't think I don't think any states have any immediate plans to leave the union. So we need to figure out a better way. And I think so much of the conversation that is different around this period in time, as it was to a certain extent in the Industrial Revolution, is that some of our institutions are going through fundamental changes. And I sure as heck hope that our politics and our government is one of them. And we can think about new and different ways to engage with each other and to create change that don't have to follow these tired patterns. I think that part of what makes it feel nastier now is just that everybody has a microphone. So it's amplified. It's in our faces constantly. Anytime you choose to participate in being a a consumer of news, for example, you pick up your phone and you can hear where everybody is. So it's hard to get away from that. I think Mm -hmm. a corollary to that is that our expectations of that engagement are way out of whack. Um, Bryn, our listener who we just adore, was sending us an article today from Vox about people who were paid to follow folks of the other political persuasion on Twitter. And the results of that showed that people actually became more polarized, not less. Well, of course they did. If all you do is exit your echo chamber, you're just going to get angrier because there is work required in advance of that to build relationships that are worth sustaining through disagreement. But if you just drop into what feels like another universe politically, you're, because again, this we're in this patriarchal structure, and let me make that connection if you aren't there with me, I think of it as patriarchy because my definition of patriarchy is believing that power only exists when it's wielded over other people. And I'm not mad at men about that. I just think that's where we are as a society. And we have given men power defined by their ability to wield it over other men and women. And I think that that's how our government views itself right now. Republicans only have power if they are able to wield it over and against Democrats and vice versa. 
So because that's our framework, if you just drop into the other side on social media, you are likely to hear the denigration of your own viewpoint more than the amplification of the ideas of the other side, right? You're not likely to learn anything because we're just coalescing around my team versus your team. And we can do better than that. But it is going to require a lot of work and a lot of relationship building. And maybe we are into Americas. Fine. Let's talk about whether that's where we want to be long term. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. 
Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. not have done this without the support of so many people. And we wanted them to celebrate along with us because it's been longtime listeners who have reached out with grace and authenticity and helped us do our very best for this community. It is sort of co-workers, people in this space that offer insight into the industry, who've been doing it longer, who can offer us tips and tricks. I mean, it's just this incredible expanse of people that have played a part in getting us to 500 episodes. And we knew that any celebration would not be right without their voices. Hey, Beth and Sarah, it's Dante. Congratulations on your 500th episode. It's been such an amazing experience getting to know you both and to be a part of this family in this community that you guys have grown from the bottom up. I remember when I found the show, I was browsing iTunes for new podcasts and saw the logo and just clicked. It was a random occurrence, but what a beautiful coincidence that ended up being because it's given me friends. It's given me an outlet to speak about things politically that I was never able to do in my own family and in my own friend network. The show has really meant everything to my life. It's given me such a mental outlet for so many of the things that I'm feeling and thinking. Um, And you guys help make sense of the world for me and for so, so many other people. I've told you guys in multiple facets that you're doing the work that nobody else is willing to do. And it's important work. And I believe that with my whole heart. And I'll always support this show because of it. So please continue to do the work. We'll support you on the other end. I love you both. And thank you so much for being a part of my life and creating this thing that we all love. Hi, this is Carrie Anderson. I first discovered Pantsuit Politics a few months before the 2016 election. I really appreciated a politics show that intentionally provided different perspectives. Also, as someone who lives and works in the Washington, D.C. area, but who grew up in the Midwest, I appreciated hearing some beyond-the-beltway perspectives. While I've had the pleasure of meeting Sarah and Beth in person, I have long been surprised at how connected I feel to them on the podcast. Sometimes Beth says something, and I think, oh, I really relate to that. And then Sarah will say something different, and I feel like I relate to that, too. What I most appreciate about Beth and Sarah is how they work to bring people together through their podcast, through their book, and through their other endeavors. Our country and our world needs this type of work more than ever. And it is work. It's hard work. I'm glad that we have these two women to help lead it. It's funny thinking about what my life would look like without Pantsu Politics. Sarah and Beth have been such a soft place to land for me around really, really difficult conversations Conversations and topics that before I started listening to their show, I would just ignore because it was too hard. It was too hard to think about some of those things on my own. 
and they invited me into a kinder, better way of having a conversation, having it with such great empathy and passion. I love when Sarah cries. Sarah and Beth, what you guys do is such a gift to so many people in a time where I don't even think you knew how much we needed it. What a gift. What a gift. And congratulations on the 500th episode. That's bonkers. So awesome. Can't wait for 500 more. Hey, guys, this is Katie. I have been listening to Pantsuit Politics since mid-2016. I found Pantsuit Politics because I knew I wanted to listen to something that wasn't 538 and it wasn't the NPR folks who I still adore, but I wanted something that was commentary and analysis that didn't feel so far removed from the world that I live in. And the universe gave me this. These two women do for me what Keegan-Michael Key's character does as the Obama anger translator. But instead of needing someone to translate my anger, they just translate complexity and give the sense that people who care deeply about our country but don't care deeply about partisanship or being right but maybe care more about being good. So rather than translating maybe my anger or frustration into something that other people understand, they translate the complexity of our lives and the nuance that we all intuitively know we need into into a voice that others can hear and we can share and we can say this. This is what I was trying to say. Thank you, ladies. Happy 500th episode. I hope there will be 500,000 more if that's what you want, but I suspect a podcast may not contain all that you all have to give the world. Hey, Sarah and Beth, it's Jessica Morse here. Congratulations on your 500th episode of Pantsuit Politics. I am so thrilled for you, and I'm so grateful for the depth you provide. I was initially attracted to your show by the depth and the commitment to nuance. I feel like the art of nuance is critical and gets lost in a media environment of 10-second sound bites and 280 characters uh, to convey deep policy. The issues we face, whether it's climate change, abortion, racial injustice, are complex and have long histories and deep impacts. And mindless repetition of the headline of the day runs through our political system like water in a rut, deepening and entrenching people until partisan grooves are carved into impassable canyons. What your show does is it makes the time and you have the patience to examine these complex issues um, one thread at a time. And that creates the foundation for our untangling of these complex knots and designing good policies and a path forward for our country towards progress. And if we untangle these knots, perhaps we can weave the threads of these entrenched issues into a clear rope that will lift people out of the canyons and help set our country on a path towards progress. My sister and I have become super fans, and it's in part because we love the commitment to conversation and listening to people we disagree with. Listening and dialogue doesn't mean conceding your principles or diluting your morals. It's the acknowledgement that people can grow and thinking can expand. 
The art of building empathy and understanding is desperately needed in our country right now, and you exhibit that so beautifully. I am so grateful for the tools that you provide and the steadfast model you set for us at Pantsuit Politics to be really able to stand up, have these dialogues, and to be able to bring people into a new perspective and to be able to help people along a path that allows our country to be more inclusive, more just, more welcoming, and more democratic. So thank you for the incredible work you are doing. I am so proud to be part of the Pantsuit Politics family and happy to support you. And here's to another 500 episodes. Hi, Beth and Sarah. It's Erica Mandy here, host of the Newsworthy Podcast. And wow, 500 episodes. That means 500 important conversations going out into the world, getting tens of thousands of people to listen more, consider more, think more, talk more, do more, and be more. You have truly impacted people's hearts, minds, and actions for the better, including my own. And that is something you should be so proud of. And I know as a fellow podcaster who also talks about the news that 500 episodes means countless hours of not only actual work to put out the show, but also the incredible ups and downs of caring so much about that content and the impact it can have on all of your listeners. So thank you. Thank you for all of it. I personally listen to your show for your thoughtful perspectives on complicated issues. Even though I already read a ton of news every day for my own show, as you know, I can always count on pantsuit politics to give me a unique and interesting perspective or point that I didn't hear, read, or consider anywhere else. I love that we have a shared mission of helping people stay informed in a way that won't leave them feeling depleted, and I'm so impressed by how you both show up for that mission every episode and every time we get the chance to talk. And by the way, for everyone else listening, I do want to vouch for the fact that Beth and Sarah are the same smart, caring, thoughtful, grace-filled people, whether they have pressed the recording button or not. So congratulations. Keep up the amazing work. I can't wait to see where you go and what you do and the impact you will continue to have by episode 1000. We'll be listening along the way. Hi there, it's Emily P. Freeman from the Next Right Thing podcast, and I'm a glad listener of Pantsuit Politics. From the very first time that I started listening to these two brilliant women, I've admired the way they always approach both conflict and complexity with the goal of connection. I also admire how they're somehow able to use the word bananas in a sentence about current events, and it still sounds super smart and lawyery. Sarah, we have learned from you the power a kind good morning has to ease the blow of a tough news brief. And Beth, you are teaching us how to listen and how to learn. So here's to you, Sarah and Beth. May you continue to model for us what it means to have a healthy conversation, even when we disagree. Congratulations on 500 episodes. Here's to 500 more. This is State Representative Crystal Quaid, the House Minority Leader in Missouri, and I want to say congratulations to everyone at Pantsuit Politics for your 500th episode. As a state representative, I travel a lot and I rely on Pantsuit Politics to calm me down, to keep me sane, to remind me to have grace and to give grace keeps me updated in all things national politics, but then also provides a platform for local women who are leading the way for change. I, again, want to say thank you for all that you bring to everyone across this country. We need you. Please keep going. And just congratulations again. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Beth. This is Amy McGrath. And congratulations on your 500th episode. That's amazing. You don't want to know what I love about your podcasts. You guys are real. You remind me of my sister. 
growing up and the conversations that I have with her today. You remind me of my good friends growing up here in Kentucky and how we all talk. I love your desire to understand the news, to understand the issues, and to try to make them real for us. I love the fact that you take so much time to understand things and provide us facts and background for everything. I love the fact that you meet others where they're at. You all call this approaching issues with grace. I like the fact that you guys acknowledge that some things just aren't black and white. You call this nuance and that's real life. And in today's political environment, where there's a constant push to polarize, to simplify, and to have sound bites, I find that really refreshing. When I listen to your podcast and when I finish your show, I'm always more informed. But you know what? I come away with your show with a feeling of me being real and me being just normal. And I'm inspired every time I listen to you to just tackle the next day, one day at a time. Thank you to you both. You're doing an awesome job. Hello, Pantsuit Politics family. This is Bryn. I was so happy to find Pantsuit Politics years ago when they first started and had a completely different show format and a cute little intro sound. I stumbled upon the podcast after a recommendation from another podcast called Decode DC and have been a diehard listener ever since. The show has helped me evolve on issues and candidates, and I will always appreciate Sarah's commitment to helping me come around to Hillary Clinton and best commitment to helping me see things from different perspectives. Um, Y'all are amazing, and the community that you've helped foster is just wonderful. Happy 500th episode. Sarah, Beth, it's Knox and Jamie from the podcast with Knox and Jamie, and we are so excited about your 500th episode. What an achievement, and we just continue to be impressed with how you take three things that no one likes, pants, suits, and politics, and somehow you make them all really cool together. You make them magical. Listen, when you get ready to launch your 18th show and you do no pants politics, call me. Let us know. Hi, Sarah and Beth. It's Sarah Rigsamico in Georgia. Congratulations on the 500th episode of Pantsuit Politics. I'm so glad to have met y'all and to have been a guest on your show multiple times. Thank you for what you're doing to keep dialogue and nuance and hope and graciousness in our politics. Probably one of the shows that I'll remember the most working on with you was the summit that you put on in D.C., and just the extraordinary number of remarkable women trying to shape and better our politics that y'all managed to put together. It was a blessing to be a part of it, and I hope to be back with y'all soon. Congratulations, Sarah and Beth. Hey, Sarah and Beth. It's Ann Bogle. Happy 500th. I remember sitting on my couch way back in 2015, and I was looking at the iTunes ratings for one of the first times because we were getting ready to start our own show. And We were browsing the page and suddenly I recognized your logo and I was so excited to see it there. And I told Will, hey, that's my friend's podcast. And he said, hey, they're a new and noteworthy. That's a really big deal. 
And 500 episodes later, I mean, a lot has changed, but the fact that you are a really big deal to lots of listeners and to me, well, that stayed the same. As someone who is easily overwhelmed and who also just really instinctively hates conflicts of any kind, I've learned a lot from your show and the way you model week after week how to have these conversations that matter deeply to all of us. You are doing and will continue to do good work. I'm honored to know you and to be a part of this community. From Dante, who composed our music and has given us lots of advice and tips and time and talent over the years to people like Kendra Adachi from The Lazy Genius, who've really graciously shared the show with our audience. It just really touches me to hear from everybody. And I'm so grateful and humbled. And there are times when I'm like, do they really listen? Does that person really like does Ann Bogle really listen to our podcast? That's amazing. <laughs> and it, it is really awesome. We would be remiss also if we did not mention Jen Hatmaker in this episode, because mm-hmm. so many of you came to us from hearing us on her podcast for the love. And what I love that Jen did is that she saw a way not just to share us with her audience, but to share the heart of what we do with her audience. When she had us on to talk about her conversation with Beto O'Rourke, it was a chance for us to show, not tell what we're about. And it's just a gift that keeps giving in the form of so many of you who continue to come to us saying, hey, I just listened to that episode. I know it was forever ago, but here I am. And so many of you all have life experiences so similar to ours that it just makes it really special. Okay, Beth, we've we've walked through our little history. We've shared this moment with our team. We've said thank you. It's just me and you, girl. What's our biggest lessons from 500 episodes? I think I have to talk about this in a couple of different layers. The first layer is that I've just never had a friend like you. You know, Sarah and I were not close in college. We knew each other, but we were in the same sorority, and that was kind of it. We liked each other. It was fine. Um, But to have you as a friend, as an adult, to have the complimentary, I'll use your word, nature of our personalities being a constant in my life, because it's not just sitting down to record the shows. It is the barrage of text messages and Voxer messages that we send each other every single day. And that that presence of you in my mind as I'm making every decision, even when I'm scheduling a vacation, I'm thinking about you. And I've just (laughs) never had that kind of friendship. And it's just been an incredible gift to me. And it has set me free in many ways. It has shown me what I'm made of and what I am most certainly not and that I don't have to be what I'm not. And uh, it's just been a beautiful gift in my life. And I think all the time, if all of this is gone tomorrow, I'll still have Sarah. And it's that's really important to me. So what I would say is often on social media, all of you will say, Beth makes me better. Beth makes me better. So if Beth makes you better in two hours of podcasting a week... Can you fathom what has happened in my life with Beth entering and becoming my business partner and my friend and my coworker and my travel companion? It's really difficult to articulate the impact that she has had 
on me. I'm not particularly easy to impact. I have a strong personality. I don't think that comes as a surprise to anyone listening to this podcast. But, you know, you guys listen to her and you know the quiet way that she works on you. And she has worked on my heart and my spirit and my soul and my brain and, you know, lifelong dreams that I have had to write a book. That's a lifelong dream I've had my whole life. That's all I wanted to do it. I kept writing it down and writing it down, travel and to speak and to be in the lives, particularly of women, to be able to talk politics and get paid <laughs> for it. These are dreams come true and they would not have been possible were Beth not in my life. And so, you know, I think we've we've both switched to the the third person because it's hard to even into a microphone when you're not looking into the person, the the power of this relationship is very intense to articulate. It's also intense to articulate how much it changes you to hear from people who say, settle in, I'm about to give you my life story. <laughs> and our email looks like that every single day. And so I realized doing this show, how limited my personal life experiences are. And I get that reminder refreshed for me on a daily basis. And the people who oh my gosh, the flood of email that we got during the Kavanaugh hearings from women who've been sexually assaulted and the people who shared with us their experiences of being on the end of horrific racism, the people who've not known how to come out to their parents and have shared that with us. It's, you just can't be the same person after reading these emails. And I thought that maybe at some point I would get numb to that and no, and I don't ever want to because I just get refined every single day by all of you. And I can't get over what a generous thing that is. The world feels so much kinder to me today than it did in 2015. And can you even imagine that that's possible given everything that's happened in the last five years that the world could feel kinder, but it's because of how generous you all are in sharing things with us, especially when you reach out to say, like, I heard this and I think you got something really wrong and it was hurtful to me. And I'm going to tell you why. Like, that is the kindest thing anyone could do. And that you've done that for two strangers from the Internet. I don't even know how to process uh, what a beautiful thing that is. It's hard to talk about the beautiful display of humanity that we are witness to as the co-host of Pantsu Politics, when we think about the time in American history that, that that has happened. So this is over the last five years during really difficult, really dark news events and political happenings and the administration of Donald Trump. And I... I just don't know who I would have been otherwise. Like, I don't know what the impact of this particular moment would have been on me had I not been with all of you. If you hadn't been so 
forthcoming and vulnerable and authentic with us and shared those stories and wept alongside of us and cheered alongside of us and sat next to each other in confusion and frustration and anguish. I, I cannot even fathom how I would have gotten through it to express the, my gratitude for this community in just the way it's gotten me through, much less the fact that it has also become the most life-giving work. It doesn't feel like work. What I want to do is pay it forward. And it feels like such an extraordinary blessing. And I hope all of you know that every morning both of us wake up and we just want to do right by all of you. Because you have given us such trust and you have given us such a gift on a personal level and a professional level. I hope you know that every move we make, every episode we record, we just want to do right by you. And that's, you know, when I think about the future, I don't have any plans for any of this because that to me is the guiding light. What does this audience need based on what happens? That's worked on me a lot on a personal level, too, because I'm definitely a person who prefers to have a plan. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, I've just learned to sort of trust the process of making this show. And show is even the wrong word, right? Whatever mm -hmm. this whole thing is, it's it's beautiful. It is a gift to me. And I've learned to trust the process of making it, which means that I am constantly thinking what would be good for all of us to hear on the nightly nuance? <laughs> Just like Sarah is constantly thinking, what would be good for everyone to start their day with the news? And as we plan the next episodes, what do we need right now? What feelings do we need to process and work through? And then what's the like civic nourishment that we need to continue to work on this country? And I think that's the other thing. I mean, this is going to sound like the cheesiest thing I've ever said, and that is a high bar. <laughs> But I somehow love America more because of what we do here. I am so much more aware of America's brokenness than I was when we started. I'm so much more aware of the ways that America was designed on a premises that it's actively avoided living up to. And I, I just have a serious faith in what we're trying to do here as a country and as people living in it. And, and I believe in our ability to do it, even when it's incredibly hard to believe that. And so somehow I have lost every shred of belief in American exceptionalism that I had when we began. And I love this country more. And, and that filters down, you know, I am so much more aware of my own strengths and weaknesses and I love myself more and I am so much more aware of the way I parent and the way I love my husband and the way I act as a daughter and sister and friend. And there's been all this breaking down and in the process, just an infusion of kindness and happiness and contentedness that have accompanied it. It's It has in so many ways just saved me from being someone who I think would have been really 
bitter and resentful had I lived through the last five years in a parallel reality of myself. There's just something powerful and philosophically impactful if you want to be a person who lives as if you are connected to other human beings, if your values are, we are all connected. When you sit down to do your job and you're talking to one other person in a room by yourself, but you have to constantly be aware that thousands of people are listening. It's, it's just a practice that infuses that awareness of connection into everything you do. And I think that has carried through into how we think about our personal roles, but definitely our roles as citizens. We are connected to one another. And the fact that we, we step out and we do speak, knowing that thousands are listening, about our country, about politics— which, like Beth has said from the beginning, it's just about how we're going to live in community together. It really, it really has unlocked whole new parts of my brain. It helps me see things differently. It helps me see this country differently. I completely agree. I was, listen, I'm, I'm an emotional person. I'm a pretty, if not patriotic, maybe like historically aware. <laughs> it has given a, a depth to my feelings about this country and the connection I feel to my fellow citizens that was not there before. And I'm just excited to make 500 more episodes. There is not a day when I'm not extraordinarily grateful that my job is to read the newest Supreme Court opinion and talk about it. Or my job is to watch a hearing <laughs> and talk about it. Um, it is the greatest opportunity that I've ever had. And I take it so seriously and I take every aspect of that, my relationship with Sarah, the way that we work with Elise Dillon and Simeon, talking to our listeners in all of the places that we talk to our listeners, every email that we write, I take it all so seriously. I take not one piece of it, not one tweet for granted. And I can't wait to just keep going. Beth, thank you for saying yes when I asked you to start a podcast. Thank you for asking me. And thank you all for listening. So emotional. I love you so much. Pantsu Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin and Studio D Production. Elise Knapp is our managing editor. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers, Tim Miller, Tiffany Hasler, Joshua Allen, David McWilliams, Allie Edwards, Martha Brunitsky, Amy Whited, Janice Elliott, Sarah Ralph, Barry Kaufman, Jeremy Sequoia, Lori Lodow, Emily Neasley, Allison Luzader, Tracy Putoff, Jared Minson. To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, pantsuitpoliticsshow.com, sign up for our weekly emails, and follow us on Instagram. 
slow at almost 40. God. It's like the little circles swimming around in my brain. Okay. Testimony in the impeachment inquiry yesterday. Nope. Wednesday. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Dylan. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you, Dylan. All right, you guys have a great day. <laughs> Again, saw on the uptake. Take that out, Dylan. Oh, <laughs> we won. Take this out, Dylan. Well, how about that? Good for That's us. Amazing. Go team. Oh, look at that. Huh. I love it. <laughs> That's exciting. We needed that today. We did need that today. We needed that. Okay. Take that out, Dylan. Yeah. Or put it in the put it in the outtakes file. <laughs> it's just so weird because it's not raised at all. Dylan, I have a very bad steam burn. That's what, on my wrist. That's what we're discussing. Okay, here is what? Oh, I thought you said something. I'm sorry. Um, we were at forty minutes. Forty minutes. I mean, I feel like that was good. Do we really want to tack on something else? No, I think that was good. I feel like I had one more thought, and it's gone out of my brain. My brain's not holding on to things at all. I don't know. Should we just wrap up? I can't get it back. Oh, hang on just a second. I'm sorry. Yeah, girls. Happy 500 episode. Oh, thank you so much. We love you. We love you too. Thank you. Mwah. Mwah. Have a good playtime, okay? All right. Mommy. Thanks. Thank you.